If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the Everything 80s Podcast, episode 32, the story of the Pound Puppies. It's the Pound Puppies! Nose Marie, Bright Eyes, and Owler. Hey guys, what's happened? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today and looking at not just the story of the Pound Puppies cartoon, but the toy itself, the history, how it was created, everything that went into that. It's a pretty interesting story. But before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. Okay, let's do this. So kind of the subtitle of this episode is... Are the pound puppies just cabbage patch kids in dog form? And the market for stuffed animals is pretty tough. And there's obviously a trillion options out there. So to stand out takes quite a lot. It takes a unique spin to create a new stuffed animal of something that's been made a thousand times before and then make an impact with it. So in the case of the pound puppies... As a quick summary, they came out in 1984 and were released by Irwin and then Tonka. They were a plush stuffed dog doll that had droopy eyes and floppy ears. A 1985 cartoon would be released by Hanna-Barbera and the toys would make over $300 million during the 80s. So I don't know about you, but pound puppies were a big head at my house. Like we were big dog people. So anything to do with dogs and especially in cartoon form was all the rage. I remember, like, I just remember we were all into them. I remember getting one for either birthday or possibly Christmas, and they just they had a unique feel feel to them. Like they were just different than other stuffed animals. And like I was saying, there was a million stuffed animals out there, so it was hard to stand out. There were also a ton of stuffed dogs and plush dogs you could get anywhere. So what was it about the pound puppies that made them such a big hit? They like they were a huge hit. So. In case these are new to you, um, you can think of like, or if you're just learning about these for the first time, but you probably don't, you're probably familiar, but they're kind of like the Cabbage Patch Kids of toy dogs. Like, whereas the thing with Cabbage Patch Kids, they had a unique look to them compared to other toy dolls 
or other babies and they stood out and they had like a unique backstory and you could adopt them. It was just something different and unique. And again, the pound puppies had their own unique look compared to other plush dogs. There was a whole collection of them and they came in a different variety of colors, such as like brown, gray, white. Some had spots, some didn't. And I think that one of the first things that sets them apart is that each one came in pretty unique packaging. If you remember, they came in these like little doghouse thing, carrying cases that you could take everywhere you went. So it wasn't just like you'd get them out of the packaging and throw it out. The packaging was part of the toy. They were considered a very good alternative for kids who wanted an actual puppy. So they were used in a lot of cases to sort of take the place of one, kind of. Uh, the pound puppies were more unique because they were said to have had their shots and you could actually give them a bath because they were machine washable. So you were encouraged to actually get them wet and you couldn't always do that with other stuffed animals. When you bought the pound puppy, so, you know, it comes in this doghouse cardboard case and, and now that they were, you know, copying that idea of the cabbage patch kids, they had, um, an adoption paper idea, you know, so you could adopt it and it came with the certificate. So it was like a real process. I don't know if it gave kids this feeling of like, I don't know, maturity or responsibility and seeing like, yeah, you, you have to care for this thing. And I don't know, whatever way it worked. I'm like, I'm looking back on this now and is researching more. It, it, it does seem a very, very brilliant idea to capitalize on the success of what another company did as far as, you know, the Cabbage Patch Kids and creating this whole adoption thing and giving kids more of an ownership. And the Pound Puppies, I think, took that idea and ran with it very well in another direction. So kudos to to them. So the actual story of them getting started was their creation by a guy named Mike Bowling or Bowling. He was not a toy inventor. He had no connection to toy companies. He worked in a Ford factory in Cincinnati, Ohio. So he had bought his daughter a doll in 1983, and she became completely attached to it, taking it with her everywhere she went. So seeing the impact this toy was having on his daughter, he kept having thoughts of coming up with his own. I have to think she had a Cabbage Patch kid. It was never mentioned in any of the stories or whatever. Um, but this is 1983, right when they came out and kids were obsessed with them. I'm going to think that's what she had. And he kind of tuned in this whole idea. So since Mike worked on an assembly line, his mind started to go towards an automated production of a toy, something that could be rolled out constantly and scooped up by kids everywhere. He came up with a simple idea Instead of going with a toy doll and instead of going with a teddy bear, he went with a toy dog. And the early idea of the pound puppies, he came up with a somewhat crude prototype and he actually stuffed it with pellets. I'm not meaning he shot it. He just used pellets as a filler. I don't know why you wouldn't find old stuffing or cotton, but whatever. That's what he did. Uh, so all the ideas that would be used with pound puppies were right there from the start. And like he came up with that idea for the crate to carry them. He came up with the adoption papers. Again, I'm assuming his daughter owned a Cabbage Patch Kid. And he just kind of borrowed um, and saw how effective these ideas were. And they really were. So Bowling didn't know anything about the toy industry. But he knew enough to copyright the name and to control the intellectual property. Very smart move. He then put together the prototype and a mock-up, everything packaged, and he started to shop it around. And it was turned down by 14 straight different companies. So this goes into 
how the video game crash of 1983 might have been responsible for bringing us the Pound Puppies. So if you're not aware of it, and I've covered this before on the show, I definitely recommend you go listen to the episode on the story of the E.T. Atari video game or the history of the original Nintendo Entertainment System. But as a quick crash course, there was a video game crash in 1983. And it was when the once dominant video game industry went ma- went from making billions a year down to less than 100 million within like t- less than two years. So Atari was obviously the top dog for a while and everyone wanted to be on board with them and, in, and with video games in general. So toy companies like Hasbro, Tonka, Irwin, all these ones um, had put a lot of money into the video game industry. And then when it crashed, these companies got burned big time by trying to be involved with the games, whether they're creating accessories or whatever. Everything was blowing up in their face. So Nintendo hasn't swooped in to save the day yet, which they would in 85, more into 1986. So these companies are looking at something else to try to recover. They've lost money. They've been burned. They, they're trying to go in a whole different direction. So they wanted something a little more to get away from all technology. They wanted something a little more traditional with toys. So Bowling stuck with it. And then uh, this is, I guess he came up with it right at the right time, you know, maybe inadvertently, but it worked out. So he got in contact with Canadian toy company Irwin. And Irwin was one of the big ones that had been really screwed over Uh, by Atari. So now they want completely low risk opportunities and they want simple toys and pound puppies look like that good opportunity. So Irwin would release pound puppies in Canada first, which if you haven't listened, I'm Canadian. So that makes me very proud of my homeland for being at the start of a, a successful toy line. We were also at the start with Jenga and I did an episode of Jenga. You can listen to that, which is a really good one too. So they're a huge hit when they're released in 1984. Again, they offered more than your regular run-of-the-mill stuffed animal because they had they had character, they had identity, they had a backstory to them. Again, more of that sense of ownership with the kids and the adoption certificate. So obviously they work great in Canada and they've got to bring them south. So they bring them down to the U.S. So this continues the theme of companies being burned by the video game industry. So toy truck maker Tonka had a deal with video game company Sega, but also got screwed around through the whole video game crash, lost a fortune, and just were completely like snake bitten with everything they put in. And they just wanted to distance themselves from all of it. So it's now 1985. They also want to get on board. They got to put out something, but they need something low risk now after all the losses they've taken. The advantage Tonka had is that Irwin had done all the, all the legwork. Every, like they, they had market research now. They had um, the commercials. They'd seen the sales, so they knew it had worked up in Canada. And like I said, I'm Canadian, and what a kid in Canada likes, you can be guaranteed a kid in the U.S. likes or vice versa. Like we're watching the same cartoons, the same shows, the same music, the same movies. So Tonka's got a bit of a leg up here. Tonka, you know, they he, they love Bowling's idea and the premise with the, the pound puppies. They've got the real research to show it was um, a success and they want to bring it down to the u.s and they put them out in 1985 and they but they really push the idea of the ownership for the kids they do that even more and they really they get that idea of it being a great solution for parents who don't want to buy a real dog and they again push that idea that the puppies need to be walked they need to be bathed 
They make it a point to say they've had all the shots. They're trying to make these things seem like real, actual animals, which is what Irwin didn't do in Canada. Tonka just like really escalated all that stuff. So they were a hit up here in Canada. They are a frenzy down in the States when they were released. I don't know if you remember the hype behind them, but they're, um, it was there. It was honestly almost as close to the Cabbage Patch Kids craze, if you know about that whole story, about it being like the original toy craze where parents are fighting each other and it's like you know the early um, iteration of Black Friday. Uh, so not at that extreme, you know, less broken hips in this situation, but an absolute frenzy. Like stores couldn't keep them on shelves. There were lineups. Um, they'd have to give like you know, a whole thing. So Tonka sold 2.5 million of them that year. And considering the price they charge, uh, they took a lot of money. I do not remember this. And I was looking back to researching it. They charged 30 bucks per puppy. So that's nuts. If you convert that for today, that's around $70. Um, I don't remember, like, I would never ask for toys that would be that expensive. Or maybe I would. And that's why maybe we only got one. I don't know. That seems like a lot. Like, if think of it. A $70 toy. I would have thought they would have been the equivalent of like 15 to 20, but these things weren't like the cabbage patch kids. They were, they were like upwards of 80 per piece. So, and then, you know, you could buy uh, other stuff. You could get stickers, you could get a personalized dog tag that the nice people at Tonka would send you for an additional like 350. Uh, you can get them in the mail. So, but either way, it's like, the whole like the supply and demand issue and you just you cannot get these things anywhere they're flying off shelves they're a hit another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So they, you know, they strike while the iron's hot and uh, they put out the Pound Puppies TV special. And that's before, so I played the, the cartoon theme song at the start of the show. But before the cartoon series, there was the Pound Puppies TV special. And I vaguely remember this. Is It, it seemed to be used as just a, it was like a standalone show to see how people would respond to a cartoon version of toys. They, they usually call these... Uh, kind of like backdoor pilots. It, it's more done in like other series where they'll do a, a completely standalone show that's really nothing to do with the rest of the continuity of or the arc of the series just to see how it would work. The, the, the first example I'm just thinking of is in second series of Stranger Things. The episode, which is it, episode six or seven, when Eleven goes off to, where is it, Pittsburgh? Or, you know, she goes to that city and she meets the other kids or that other girl that's like her and trains and it's just completely removed from the rest of the show and that's one of those things that's sort of like a test to see if a spinoff will work with those other characters they did on the office too 
with that episode when Dwight had his own farm, like, or he has the farm, but then his family come to start working on it and they were testing up to do a Dwight spinoff. So that's called a backdoor pilot. It's basically one show and to see what the response will be. So that's what the pound puppies did. The difference the pound puppies had compared to other shows like, you know, GI Joe or strawberry shortcake is that they had no backstory. The way toys were being sold in the eighties was to put out a cartoon series, whether it was, you know, a three or four part series like transformers originally did or a whole season and you build up the backstory, you build up the characters, you build up the mythology, and those were used to drive the sales of toys. Pound Puppies did things the other way, which was very rare at the time. They introduced the toys first, and they were a huge hit. And then they tested to see if people would be interested in the cartoon. It's so funny. It's completely backwards. I think that's because that idea of the the video game crash and the company's like Irwin and Tonka not wanting to be burned. And like I said, they wanted low risk toys. So they, I don't think they were anticipating these things to be a huge hit. I think they were just like putting something out there to fill that marketplace and whatever, while, you know, they were working on something different. So I don't, I think they were meant to, I don't know if it was to break even or turn a small profit, not to be a massive success. So I think that's why this took the different approach. There was no intent to have a cartoon show or whatever. They didn't even know if kids would like them. But it worked, and that's why you see this reverse order. So the film, Pound, the Pound Puppy movie thingy, whatever, came out on October 26, 1985. It was around 36 minutes long and like was made by Hanna-Barbera. The plot is based around a puppy named Violet who comes from a wealthy family. She is being pursued by dog nappers but is picked up and taken to the pound. There she meets a gang of puppies who are focused on finding homes for themselves. The rest of the film focuses on Violet getting back with her owners, Spoiler alert, she does. So this is interesting. This show featured some pretty big-time voices in it, including uh, Frank Welker, who was uh, on Scooby-Doo. is also obviously Megatron. Ed Begley Jr. was a voice. June Foray, who was the voice of Rocky the Flying Squirrel. She was also Lucifer and Cinderella. Um, Dan Gilvezin, a.k.a. Spider-Man in Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, the cartoon from 1981. He was also Bumblebee in The Transformers. Ronald uh, Palillo was Horshack and Welcome Back Cotter. Jonathan Winters was a voice on this show. And last but not least, the iconic Sorel uh, Book, a.k.a. Boss Hog from the Dukes of Hazard was a voice. So that is an amazing lineup. You can um, you can watch this whole – it's on YouTube. There's like a VHS rip of this cartoon if you ever want to see it. So that leads into the Pound Puppies cartoon series. And so the the, the – film the tv film thing was successful enough Hanna-Barbera was able to get the rights for a full animated series so the the show was broadcast on ABC from September 1986 to February 1989 which was longer than I realized and that's a pretty substantial hit for a cartoon show in the 80s against all that other competition so the show was kind of based on the film but actually never made any mention of Violet which might have been upsetting for a lot of kids, but who knows. So the show would feature some voice actors from the film, but also featured a young Nancy Cartwright, a.k.a. Bart Simpson, in one of her first roles. So the first season first season introduces characters like Cooler, Nose Marie, Bright Eyes, uh, not Charlton Heston from Planet of the Apes, Howler. Oh, Howler was played by Burt Cooper from Mad Men. Uh, the show also debuts the sinister Katrina Stoneheart. She had an evil daughter named Bratina, Bratina, and a goddaughter, Holly, who used to run the pound, 
or the puppy pound, but now has become a friend of the puppies. So Katrina Stonehart had way too much of a Cruella de Vil thing going on. If you ask me, she was voiced by Pat Carroll, who was the voice of Ursula from the little mermaid. Her cat was voiced by Frank Welker, Megatron. And there was the evil captain slaughter who destroyed Wagga Wagga, which was the hometown of the pound puppies. If you remember any of this and then, okay. Captain slaughter was voiced by Peter Cullen, who's Optimus prime from the transformers. So, once again, this happened on the GoBots. I did a show all about the GoBots, where the two of the main characters were voiced by Frank Welker and Peter Cullen on the GoBots, the way they would voice Megatron and Optimus Prime on the Transformers, and then they were voicing these two main characters on the Pound Puppies. So they're spreading it around pretty good. The rest of the show is basically Katrina and Bratina trying to tear down the Pound, while the Pound Puppies are trying to get themselves adopted out to new families. So Holly possesses what they call puppy power, which was big in my household, and she can talk to them. And she was originally, uh, when they started the show, she was originally intended to be sisters with Bratina, but a last-second script change changes. Then they made Bratina the daughter of Katrina. The problem is they didn't have any time to change the animation, and that's why they look nothing alike, if you had seen the show. I also thought, I was just listening to, as I was putting this together, the theme song had quite a lot of a Fat Albert vibe to it, but I don't know. It's probably going through your head still. At the end of each show, the Pound Puppies Pet Care Corner would take place and would help give tips to kids on how to care for their pets. It's kind of like a knowing is half the battle scenario, but for dogs in this case. Okay, so then that led to a second season, and the second season changed things up a bit, not only in the look, but the theme. It was rebranded as the all-new Pound Puppies. They would change a lot of things, including backgrounds, appearances, and even some of the personality traits. And there's no more Captain Slaughter. And it's such a funny name for a kid's cartoon. And Katrina Stoneheart has taken over the Puppy Pound, and now she's treating it more like a prison. So there's a lot of, if you're a fan, there's a lot of continuity problems. But, I mean, we were just stupid kids, so whatever. We had no idea. It did feature uh, the Turn of Sorel books, though, Boss Hog. That leads to the actual Pound Puppies film. I don't know if you remember this. I had no idea this was a thing until, again, researching all this. It was called Pound Puppies Legend of Big Paw, and it came out in 1988. It was produced by TriStar Pictures, and now it seems like they're 100% trying to promote the toy line, which is something they hadn't done before. But now this is a massive franchise. The movie was financed by Tonka, which makes me think that was the whole intent behind it. And it would include a bunch of musical numbers uh, just to kind of round out the whole film. It followed a kind of sword in the stone Excalibur theme, but it was set in the late 50s, which is kind of weird. There would be a boy dog named Arthur and his dog Digalot, along with the bone of Scone. So I probably don't have to discuss this more, but clearly a sword in the stone king arthur sort of thing they pounded this thing out in like five months can you believe like to make a movie if five and a half months they had this thing done they started in the fall of 1987 and two and a half months of that was spent on putting putting together the backgrounds and the layouts meaning all the animation was done in three months so obviously pre-cgi that is an insanely rushed job even the gobots movie um, which was called the Battle of the Rock Lords, I think. That took at least six or seven. The Transformers movie 
uh, took two years to make. This thing basically was done in three months, which is insane. The other problem is the sh- um, it, the look of the movie didn't follow that of the cartoon. Like everything was just different. There was again, and there was no continuity between the two. And the movie took an absolute beating from critics. The animation was poor. The plot was brutal. It was lifeless. There was praise for the music, however. Uh, but ultimately, fans didn't like it. And the movie didn't do amazing when have a short run in the theaters. There just wasn't the interest in Pound Puppies that there had been. So, I mean, the movie died a relatively quick death. And it ended up pretty much only playing matinees. By the end of the whole thing, it only made $586,938, which is not good. And this would be considered pretty much the last of the movies from the 80s that is that featured established toy properties of the main characters. You know, there was from whatever it was, like Rainbow Bright or, again, you know, Transformers or Strawberry. Anything like that was a big toy property. This was pretty much the end of the line for all of that, and it kind of signaled the end of the 80s um, original big toy and cartoon movement. So here's the starting to wind down here in the future of the Pound Puppies. Again, so they're not a super long-lasting fad, but longer than I definitely remember. And I think they, and they clearly made their mark. In an age where there were so many monumental toys, it was so hard to stand out. So they, they really accomplished that. To be able to create a toy that still drives a frenzy in the midst of all these heavyweight properties and brands and franchises is an amazing, amazing accomplishment. So in just those few short years, like I said, the Pound Puppies pulled in around $300 million. If you convert that for today, it's around $680 million. That's a monster hit. There would be a rebooted cartoon in 2010. I don't know if anyone remembers this. It had kind of a... Hogan's Heroes vibe to it. Uh, sorry, Hogan's Heroes. Bowling then would sell the Pound Puppies to Hasbro in 2011, but the cartoon from 2010 I just mentioned was produced by Hasbro as well. So I'm not sure how that all plays into things. Uh, maybe they're just intending this the whole time. The, the 2010 cartoon seemed to be a launching platform for new characters because Hasbro would put those out in, in 2012 and they had all these new um, characters in it. The series itself actually featured some high-end writing, and it did win various awards for children's television programming. So as much as this might have been um, completely marketing-based, they did put some quality into it, and they made it not just creative but accessible to children. So, I mean, kudos to that. But, I mean, it's interesting. All in all, the Pound Puppies made the mark. They sold around 200 million units during this run, and... This is considered being three times as many um, as there are actual dogs in the U.S. So, you know, the end of the story is not bad for a Ford assembly line worker from Cincinnati, Ohio, because the Pound Puppies were a huge, huge hit. Okay, let's finish it there. That's it for me. Hopefully you found this interesting. Again, it's like all these topics where you kind of just take them at face value. You're like, oh, the Pound Puppies, that was cool. There's so much uh, history and story that goes behind it. So hopefully you found it interesting. And I'll finish off just saying, again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. If you really like this show, hook me up with a rating and review. That way more people get to see it. That's it for me today. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later.